Blog Talk Radio. Everybody and welcome to another edition here of Beyond the Cover. I am one of your hosts, John Robb, and we are joined here by our great co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how you doing? Doing good. Happy post-tax day. Yes, um, our favorite day of the year, except it's not my day because I always do a sick muck extension, so I really don't care. My, I always do mine in October. I just wait. <laughs> do, do it well, I mean, it's going to be done eventually, but I'm just like, you know what? I don't want to do it in April. Everybody does it in April. I'm going to do mine in October. <laughs> so well, there you go. All right. Well, um, we are live tonight, and we have a wonderful show, a uh, fantastic show. And tomorrow night we are also going to have a special show that we are going to play uh, Chris Friend, uh, Frieswick. We're going to play that interview tomorrow, so I'm going to load that one up and have that show. But tonight we got best-selling authors Robert Dugoni is back and we have author DJ Palmer, uh, and they're going to be talking about their books. And so we want to remind you that all of our shows are brought to you by Kensington Books, so please make sure you visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information. So without any further ado, I guess let's uh, bring our good friend on here. So, Mr. Dugoni, how you doing? I'm well, thank you. Nice to talk to you guys. Always hey nice to talk to you. Um, so... You got a new book out, and it came out on April the 9th. It's called The Eighth Sister, and this is a little different from your um, your normal series because this is a brand-new series with uh, Charlie Jenkins, so it's book one. So you got to tell us about this one. Yeah, it is It is different. It's You know, it's uh, Charles Jenkins was in the David Sloan series. He's a former CIA agent who is disgruntled, Left the agency, you know, 40 years earlier uh, after a after a bad mishap, which uh, is kind of explained in the Jury Master. And um, you know, I hadn't I hadn't written any any Sloan or Jenkins books, uh, boy, since I don't know 10 years probably um, when uh, when I moved over to Thomas and Mercer and started doing the Tracy Crosswhite books. But you know, uh, it's um, it's sort of like what Kristen Hanna told me when I called and asked her where she got the idea for the Nightingale, which I was just so impressed with. And she said, sometimes stories just fall in our laps and we need to get out of the way. And that's really what happened with this story. I, um, the short of a long story, John, is I, I got a phone call uh, from, uh, from a, a, actually an email from a gentleman who said he had a story he wanted to talk to me about. And most authors know that's just, something that you never really never really do you never know what you're getting yourself into but um but slowly he 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 kind of wore me down he was reading my books like one after the next within a couple of days i finally agreed to have coffee with him and right before i left i i googled his name and i i found a sort of an obscure article from about 30 years ago um which indicated that there was a gentleman with a similar name, not the same name, but a similar name, who had been acquitted of espionage, uh, a former CIA officer acquitted of espionage by a jury, the only officer acquitted by an es- of espionage by a jury. And when I, got to the, when I got to the coffee shop, I said, you know, are you aware of this? And he said, that's me. 
so we sat down and we started talking and um you know his story was was tragic in in so many ways because uh you know he was found innocent because he was innocent uh, but just found himself in a real pickle of a situation. And when the story was done, I told him, you know, as much as it as I liked it and it was interesting, it, it wasn't sexy in today's standards. Uh, the country where it took place wasn't sexy uh, and how it came about really wasn't. But I but I told him that he had really sparked my interest of a similar story I, I would think about writing, and I wanted it to take place in Russia, uh, a place where I had visited and found to be just really an enigmatic uh, country for for a lot of reasons. And, uh, and so, you know, um, I started writing this story where Charles Jenkins is called back uh, into duty uh, and he's forced by situations at home, you know, his own personal situations at home. He's forced to, to, uh, to go back into Moscow uh, searching to try to hunt down the person that is supposedly killing a clandestine cell of American spies called the Seven Sisters. And when he gets to Moscow, he soon realizes that nothing was as represented to him, and he's running for his life. So it was a lot of fun. It was just a really a, a lot of fun to uh, to write. You know, it's a it's an espionage book. It's a chase book, and uh, and and I just you know it was just one of those books where it was really just a blast to write. And the uh, the early reviews have been outstanding. Um, the early reader reviews have been outstanding. The book is doing extremely well, and. Uh, I just I'm just really pleased about the whole uh, about the whole thing. Cool. Well, um and I have to tell our listeners that uh, I had the absolute thrill to interview you last week for your book launch and that was an absolute blast. So, thank you and thank your uh, team for the honor of doing that. And hey, Jeff, so, do they have any videos really... up of that? Do they have any videos up uh, of that anywhere? Did they put that anywhere? That's a Bob question. I don't. I don't know. I will have to check and see. Um, I, you know, I can tell you that they really wanted. They wanted a person that that uh, that knew me and, and knew the book, and uh, and it really, you know, Jeff was came to came to mind right away. Um, you know, given his background as an AP reviewer and the work he does on your show, and um, we were just thrilled. One better. Uh, I was really thrilled, but we were just thrilled to have him, and the, the event was. The event was just outstanding. I, we sold out, um, and and I just heard, you know, day after day, I just heard people talking about, you know, how much fun they had and what a great time it was, and and the, how well the interview went, and and uh, so I, you know, my thanks to you, Jeff. Oh, it, it was an absolute pleasure. So thank you. Um, um, but well, let me know. Uh, email me, and then if it is, I'll put it on. I'll put it online so people can watch it. Oh, excellent! Yeah, That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Seven Sisters in your previous answer, but the book is called The Eighth Sister. What is The Eighth Sister? So The Eighth Sister, Jenkins is led to believe, is a covert Russian spy who is systematically hunting down the Seven Sisters and killing them. And so his job is to go into Moscow, uh, put out some bait, and eventually identify who that Eighth Sister is so that another agent uh, can step in and terminate uh, that person uh, and, and prevent her from uh, killing any more of the seven sisters who continue to provide the United States with, with uh, a, a lot of information. And, you know, one of the reasons I got this is when I was working on the book, I had a couple of CIA officers 
help me. And uh, both of them said that, well, this is not a typical situation for American uh, officers. It is very typical for Russian officers. What they meant by that is the United States tends to be much more impatient, and uh, whereas the, the Russia tends to be much more patient. And the thought of you know a person in the United States who has been undercover for 30 years uh, spying on behalf of the Russians uh, is not un- uncommon or not out of the question. Uh, and I just sort of flipped it and said, what if you had you know this this team of of women who don't know each other? don't even know they're part of an operation, but each is individually working on their own to provide the United States uh, with information that's detrimental to the current Russian regime, uh, you know, what would happen? And so it was just, you know, it was just a, it was a blast to write. There's a, you know, another um, whole plot line that is involved that, that also is based on a true story involving a, a CAA proprietary, which is a, a company that uh, on paper looks legitimate, but in reality is a, a company that is actually providing agents around the world with money and funneling money uh, to them for their various projects. So, um, so it was just great. It was just it was just a lot of fun uh, to do and a lot of fun to write. Now, for fans of your Tracy Crosswright books, I mean, are they going to notice, like, a different Bob Dagoni kind of style in the Eight Sisters? Is this something that they're going to be like, hey, this is a little bit different? I mean, of course, you know, the genre is different, but what about your writing style? Do you, do you know that you're maybe doing things a little differently than Tracy Crosswhite? I mean, is it, is it uh, conscious decisions? I, you know, I, I think uh, what I'm hearing is that uh, there is a slight change. You know, and by that I mean, you know, I I wrote a literary novel, which which you know, I was oh, yeah. blessed to receive your award for uh, the, right. the extraordinary life of Sam Hell, and you know that was a literary sure. novel. It, it had a different feel to it. It had a different flow to it. Um, you know, the words, the language I used was different. It was more poetic than my other stuff. Um, and, and and so the early reviews I've been getting on the A Sister from from many people, they've been telling me that they feel that this is my best book yet. Uh, which is really quite a compliment. Um, I don't know if that's true, uh, but I think what they are being drawn to is a, a more intense style of writing. Uh, one of the things I tried to do in this book was I tried to, uh, once once I once I got the, the tension going, I I just never let up. Uh, every every chapter I wrote, every every you know thing I did, I tried to take to heart Stephen King's um, uh, his advice that you have tension on every single page. And so I think a lot of people, when they're reading this, they're just really drawn to the, to the fact that it is a really, it's a, it's a quick read, even though it's a long book, but it's quick because there's just so much tension on the page. Well, uh, I said in my review, it's arguably your best book. So you definitely um, loved it. But one of the things I liked about it is that halfway through, you sort of, turn the book on its head and it becomes a completely different genre essentially and without spoilers did you see the story always going in that direction yeah you know it's 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 not really um it's not really halfway through but it's it's you know about about 350 pages of it is this pure chase book and the final 75 pages basically deals with the legal trial um and and i i saw that coming because that was really the whole basis for the story that the uh that the man uh, told me when I when I met him for coffee, 
Um, and, and really what I had to do there, Jeff, was I, I had to change the form of tension. It's still, uh, it's still a book with a lot of tension, but it's a different kind. It's, uh, you know, the, the first 350 pages, the tension comes from, you know, the question of whether Jenkins is going to make it out of uh, the Soviet Union and how he's going to do that. Uh, the last 75 pages, had to, I had to change that tension to reflect more of a personal change uh, related to um, him and his family and the people who he, who he loves the most. There, there's still the tension, though, from the first part lingering, which was also kind of cool. Well, yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I mean, that, that's one of the things that you know I tried to do is I tried to just carry it, carry that tension through throughout the book. Um, you know, I know you guys have interviewed author Stephen James, who's also a really talented um, teacher, and you know, one of the things that really stuck with me is when Stephen James said. In, in, he has a book called Troubleshooting Your Novel, and he said that, uh, you know, when you think of option A for your character, then you can't use that option. You have to, you have to think of a different option, you know, a B or a C or a D. And, uh, and so that was also part of the fun is I would, I'd be working on the novel and, I, and I'd think of, you know, okay, my character is going to do this next. And then I'd remember that I couldn't do that because that was the first option. And what it does is it just forces you as a writer to really change your strategy and change the way that, you, you know, you do things, um, and, and, you know, to, so that the book is not predictable. The book is, is not something that the reader can, can predict what's going to happen next. Nice. Now, you've been writing um, pretty uh, quick here in the last, I would say, couple of years. How's that pace been doing for you? Well, you know, I love it. I, I just I, I just love it, and I and I'm constantly constantly have book ideas. Uh, I'm never at a point where I'm like, gee, what am I going to do next? Um, I'm already about 260 pages into the sequel to the Eighth Sister, um, and I'm just having a ball doing it. Uh, I have another Tracy book that'll be out early next year, which is in the copy editing stage right now, and uh, and, and I'm working on an idea uh, for the next Tracy book as well. So you know, I'm really trying to do. Um, I'm just, I'm just going to work every day and, and, and trying my best. You know, um, I work, uh, I work five days a week. I don't work weekends now, but I, when I'm when I'm in town and I'm not traveling, and I've been traveling a lot lately. Uh, you know, I'm working, I'm working eight hours a day, and uh, it's just, you know, it's to me, it's a job, but it's a, it's, a, it, I say that loosely because. You know, when you do something that's your passion and you love to do it, it's never really a day of work. Well, I'm curious why you decided to create a, a new series. You, you've talked about the new series, but why did you decide to go back to Jenkins as opposed to starting fresh with a whole new set of characters? Well, J- Jenkins was always a character that I really... I really liked, uh, I, you know, he was just a guy that, that I really, um, I really liked a lot. And, and, uh, he was a former CIA agent and it really worked out, uh, beautifully for the book because I needed a situation in which, uh, the reason why they come to him is they want a, an officer who has experience with boots on the ground. And by that, I mean, I, an officer who actually goes into a foreign country for the purpose of espionage. Um, today's CIA has changed dramatically from the days when Charles Jenkins started 
you know, 40 years ago in that it's driven very much by technology and computers. Uh, we've seen that, you know, more recently in, uh, in the allegations against Russia with respect to our own elections and in some of the things that they've been doing around the world. But there is still a part of that, of that espionage that relies heavily on uh, boots on the ground. And um, those agents are getting fewer and harder to find. So this was a real opportunity for me to, uh, to put Jenkins in really an unwinnable situation, you know, a situation where he feels absolutely compelled to, to go back into a profession he left um, very disgruntled because he, he, he has to uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, his country, is, he's told how much his country needs him. The stakes of what could potentially happen in the Soviet Union are very high. And, of course, he's got a situation at home that uh, he's facing bankruptcy and the possibility of losing his home in a, at a time when his, uh, his wife is pregnant and, uh, and suffering through preeclampsia, which is the possibility of having, uh, having a child early. Um, so he's really stuck between a rock and a hard place. You know, now, a quick question, too. Is it difficult, regardless of whatever your political um, – you know, whatever, however your you know your politics lie, is it tough to not like when you start? I start seeing a lot of these military thrillers, and they're really starting to get really political. Like you can tell which side of the aisle, I guess you want to say that the author is on. Is it is it tough for you to not want to interject any of that into the books so people kind of have an understanding? You just because you just kind of leave it pretty plain. Yeah, no, it's not for me because I I there are two things. One is I'm not a very political person. Um, I'm just not. I, uh, you know, I have found that um, I have found that you know, devoting too much time and energy to politics, uh, just to me, just has not been productive. Um, I, I try to focus on things I have control over. What's that? That's it. Drives you crazy. <laughs> yeah, it does. And and you know, I, you don't have control over so many of that, much of that stuff. You know, I'm I'm uh, I do my due diligence. I uh, I vote and I do all those things. But you know, like I said, uh, so much of that stuff is completely out of our hands. And so to you know, to just, I I just don't see it as a productive use of my time. So one, I'm not I'm not real political. And two, I don't feel that's my job as a writer. You know, my job as a writer is to tell a good story, not to in- interject my opinions in into a into a book. And, you know, the hard part about interjecting your opinion into a book is that, uh, you know, you risk, you run the risk that 50% of the people out there aren't going to agree with you and, um, you know, and, and, and won't like your book because of that. So, you know, I try to just lay out the facts, uh, as they are, uh, in this particular instance, this was a situation in which, you know, an agent found himself, uh, abandoned by the, the agency that he was working for. Um, I didn't. I didn't comment on it any more than that because you know there's a lot of reasons uh, why things were the way that they were, and um, I just wanted the the reader to to come to their own conclusions uh, with respect to uh, what happened. So now the real answer to the question, uh, the question I really want to ask, and I want to hear your answer, both of them. What do you guys think of the Russell Wilson signing? <laughs> You're both in Seattle. Yeah. You're both, you know. Oh, here let you me, go. Let me, let me just, let me just prep. But hey, Bob, you know that. how I didn't bring up the Giants. You notice how I stayed away from baseball right now. I don't want to hurt your feelings, so I went to football. 
that's 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 okay. But I'm a 49ers fan, so we don't talk about that. I'm a lifelong 49ers fan. I've always been a 49ers fan. Grew up with the six Super Bowls. Uh, And so, you know, I look at the Russell Wilson uh, signing as a positive uh, for me because, um, you know, you start signing guys to that much money, it gets very, very difficult to sign anybody else. Uh, They said on the radio this morning that the five highest-paid quarterbacks in the NFL, none of those teams made the playoffs. So nope, they didn't. Uh, yeah, sorry to Jeff and, and all of my Seahawks fans out there, but um, my hope is that this will be a return to glory for the 49ers. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm a Viking fan. We didn't make it. We had the highest paid. I think Cousins is the highest or second. No. He was. Well, he's not today. a quarterback. Oh, well, Cousins, the, <laughs> Cousins is the quarterback of the Vikings. Give him a break. Come on. He had no offensive line, man. That was terrible. <laughs> Right. You know, but what did you think of it, Jeff? And then what did you think of him on that video of Instagram with his wife, the way that he announced it? Because that was just like creepy. <laughs> I'm All I will you. say I is they needed really to keep creepy. him. Yeah, it was really creepy. creepy. Yeah, they they had they had to sign him. I mean, they they yeah. had to sign him. They he put them in an unwinnable situation. Uh, because uh, if they had not signed him, the population would have just turned on them, especially given that they're, you know, they have a baseball team that hasn't made, ha- I think has the longest drought making the playoffs in, in North America of any, of any Ouch. team. And I'm a, I am a Mariners fan. You know, I'd like to see the Mariners get like back Mariners. And, and, and make I, it. I would but, agree with um, you. Yep. I, I, think so he, think? I think Russell Wilson pu- pushed, uh, you know, he really put them in an unwinnable situation. On a phantom deadline, too. That was the best part. <laughs> so, well, what did yes, you think, Jeff? Are you happy? I was very happy because all I could think of was they were going to go for, like, Kyler Murray or something like that, and then I'd be oh, like, ugh. Uh, but, uh, but, and just for the record, Bob and John both, I think the greatest quarterback the NFL has ever seen is Joe Montana. I'm just saying that, that right boy. now. So oh. there we go. I'm, I, I disagree. <laughs> Joe Montana, I think, was great. I, I give you that. He's definitely in my top five. But for me, and this is just entertainment and the way he played and the way I loved it was John Elway. That's just my opinion. Because I don't think mm-hmm. you can say who's the greatest as far as skill level if you want to do because the eras and things were so different in how they played and coaches and you had the run and shoots and Warren Moon had all those yards. But, I mean, as far as entertainment value, Elway was the most fun that I would have paid the most money to go see. Yeah, I I I won't agree with that, but I see I, I do see your point. Since he is a Stanford graduate, yeah, and we'll forgive him for that. <laughs> you know, but I mean, let's. But again, like I said, I mean, he didn't have near the weapons that Montana had in his career, and you know, I mean, yeah, he was what two and three in Super Bowls, but and got blown out by the Forty ers in that one, fifty-five to ten. Uh. So, but still, I, I don't know. I just love watching him play. He just, he just was just fun, especially you know the drive and I mean he was. I just, I just think he was, he was just fun to play, just fun to watch. Yeah, and I, I think they're both taking a backseat to Tom Brady anyway. Um, and I think uh, a lot of people know, I mean, don't realize Brady, Brady, he was. Remember, he was the quarterback that scored for Stanford on the uh, Cal Stanford uh, play. He was, he was in that yeah, game. Yeah, no, I was at that game. I was at that you game. You were at the game? I was at that game, yeah. 
Yeah, I was oh. sitting. In, I was sitting in the Stanford cheering section, and one minute we all went from being absolutely elated, thinking we'd come back and and won the game, and there was three seconds <laughs> left, and the next minute we were all going home, hungover and and upset. So yeah, yeah. I saw every Elway year play the guy the... who got nailed in the band. <laughs> they reenacted yeah, yeah. every friggin' year. <laughs> I saw Elway play when he went to Columbus and played Ohio State. That's when I saw him. And he beat he he beat him forty to something, right? Ohio State. Yeah, he won that game. Yeah, because they I think Ohio State beat him in Stanford the year before, but he had made like a comeback, and then he beat them in Ohio Stadium. Yeah, they, they were yeah. ranked. They were I think they were the number one team in the nation. And, yeah, and uh, he, he went back he went there, there, and, and, and that's really a, what put him on the map. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Bob, hey, so. I know we. I just like to have a little fun at the end and just kind of talk it out. But give us your, uh, you know, your social media and website where everybody can find you. Sure, they can just find me at www.robertdegoni.com. Uh, I'm on uh, um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook and uh, Twitter. Uh, it's at Robert Degoni. Um, so I'd love to hear from people who read the book and enjoyed it. And uh, you know, it's a it's it's a it's a great profession, and I'm. Like I said, the book's doing really well, and I'm real excited with how it's selling. And I just had a had a great time writing it. And I'm having a lot of fun writing the sequel. All right, is the next book Tracy? The you next said, book uh, coming you're... out. Or, or, yeah, next book coming out early 2020 will be Tracy Crosswhite, and then it'll follow with uh, the sequel to The Eighth Sister, then another Tracy book, and then probably the third and final book in the uh, in the Charles Jenkins trilogy. Okay. So you're about cool. so you're about one book every eight months. Really don't not not really two a year, but it's like spaced out every eight months. So it could end up being two in a year here and there. Yeah, no, I, I write two every year, but um, you know they try. My publisher, Amazon Publishing, tries to um, you know tries to put them out in a way that makes the most sense. And given that this book is a new book, a new series, they really want to give people an opportunity to uh, you know to buy it and to experience it before we rush straight into the next Tracy book. So, um, right. so yeah, it, it, it's all strategically kind of put together and, and, uh, and done. Um, but I just, you know, I don't, I just don't worry about deadlines. I just, uh, I just, I just keep writing the books and, uh, and, you know, sending them in and, and uh, going from there. Well, Bob, we want to thank you so much for coming on. I see that Mr. Palmer is waiting on hold to come on the line here. So, we are, again, always uh, happy to have you on, man. You come on anytime you want, and we'll just jab it out for a little while. Love it. Love, love to do that. Uh, love to be on it. Love your show. And uh, give Daniel my best and tell him his, uh, his book is outstanding. All right, man. We'll, we'll pass do it. You have a good one. Thanks. You Take too. care, Bob. Bye-bye. We'll talk soon. All right. All bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. So, again, everybody, that is Robert Dugoni, and the book is called The Eighth Sister. It is out now. So make sure that you go out there and you, uh, you grab a copy of that book. We're going to take a short it break. Very and we're going to be back. Yep, we're going to be back here with Mr. Uh, DJ Palmer, and he's going to be talking about his latest book called Saving Megan. So stick around, and we'll see you right here.
come back here after the break. Again, we want to thank Mr. Dugoni for being with us on here uh, just earlier, talking about the eight. What was sisters. the music? I was extreme. I played extreme. Oh. I played Deccan and Dance. Yeah. Oh, I always, whenever we go to break, I probably got to play something. I can't just have listen to nothing. <laughs> so I played something. And the night it was okay. extreme. Sometimes I got the cars. Sometimes I got Impeller Eddie. Sometimes I got Sabotage. I got all these guys. Trickster. You know, White Snake. So I got them all loaded up in here. And I just play, and then they just hear some of it. So. No soft um, jazz for you. Gotcha. Okay. No soft jazz. And and our guest is quite the musician, too. Um, and I'm mm-hmm. going to say, so we're going to be speaking here with author Daniel Palmer. Now, he's writing this book under DJ Palmer. So make sure if you're searching, uh, you search DJ Palmer, and you're going to find the book Saving Megan. Megan. So, Daniel, we want to thank you so much for coming on. How you doing, man? Hey, guys. I'm doing, I'm doing great, especially, you know, considering the hour here i'm I'm all the way on the other side of the country from where you are so you boys have me up way past my my bedtime i'm i'm on old man bedtime now so it's uh <laughs> <laughs> it feels it's exciting i feel like i'm getting away with something that's good well, thanks for staying you up lock, you lock yourself in the room in the dark and be like all right i'm gonna do this for a half hour <laughs> <laughs> so, so no it's great well, it's great to be on i'm i'm I was uh, I was hoping to get a chance to talk to Bob. I'm such a fan of him as a writer and him as a person. So it's awesome that you guys had him on. I'm a I'm you know big Bob guy. We actually shared. Well, he said the hello page. and he said he loved the book, so he wanted us to let you know that. Yeah, Bob's the best. He's the best, and I'm so excited. So, he, I mean, he just blew up. His career just did. He's just done oh, so amazingly well. It's really about exciting. Last five to see years, him I think. Right, probably about five years ago it started. It was really when it was. Yeah, when the first yeah, Tracy like came that. out, it's just it's been exploded yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Way to go! Way so, to go. Daniel, well, your books are also a lot of excitement actually. With other, I know, I know, I'm supposed to be talking about me, but there's a lot. That's of all right. You just talk. You talk about what you want because we we got not we got nothing but time. I mean, it's only eight o'clock here, so we can keep going. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I just saw like today, uh, uh, friend Lynn Constantine, who writes as Live uh, Constantine. She, Signed a, a TV deal for her book, the um, the Mrs. Parrish book. That's pretty amazing. So yeah, the Amazon's Amazon. I saw that. On that. Yeah. And Karen Slaughter's got stuff happening as well, and I, a bunch of people have pretty exciting things happening. Yeah. So it's um, it's just it's, it seems like a good time. It's a good time. I, I think Netflix and Hulu and these streaming services are really looking to authors. Apple's like, getting into it uh, now, so. Yeah, yeah, old Bill Lande, um, yeah. who wrote one of my favorite books, Defending Jacob. He's he's coming. He's like one of the the premier guys on the Apple service for for his book adaptation. So it just seems like they're they're disco- you know not discovering that we're a great source of content, but really taking advantage of the fact that there's all this amazing content. And I think it, these novels lend themselves to that because series are so tough. You know, you get like one good season and then the second season kind of struggles. And the, by the third season, you're really, the characters have really run out of runway, but you could take a book and do an eight part mini series, you know, eight part yeah. show, just break it up and really dive into the characters and do almost the entire novel and really create just compelling drama. I think so. I think it's cool. Well, this would yeah. be a great one to do something like that. And now let's make that happen. Hopefully someone's listening. It would be, be awesome. I mean, the thing, Seriously. all right, so I'll tell you this. So so 
Hulu has the Gypsy Rose story right now, a dramatization of the Gypsy Rose story. And if you don't know what the Gypsy Rose story is, really it's a Google, and then, you know, you can pick your jaw up off the floor because it's it's just unbelievable what happened. It's a, it is a story about Munchausen syndrome by proxy, but it's, it's so much more. And for those people who are not aware what Munchausen's syndrome by proxy is, it's where a caregiver intentionally harms somebody in their in their care, usually it's a mother um, harming a child. Um, and they do it intentionally for attention. In the case of Gypsy Rose, that was happening. And Gypsy Rose ended up conspiring with a boyfriend to murder her mother and did so and then got caught. But when you see what the mother was doing to Gypsy for all these years, you, you, you almost have you do have, in, in a lot of ways, you do have empathy for the for the victim. And so I think people are fascinated by Munchausen syndrome by proxy because it's just, it's such a bizarre condition, but it's not as rare as people um, might think it is. And in fact, Saving Megan, which as you guys mentioned, I'm writing now under DJ Palmer. Um, we can talk about how that came to be later. Um, Saving Megan is based or inspired, really, on a true story that took place here in Boston, Massachusetts, back in 2013, I think it was, when a young girl with unexplained illness went to see a, uh, a doctor for severe stomach pains and never left the hospital for 16 months because she was taken, essentially held hostage by the hospital, the Department of Children and Family uh, took over guardianship of her, um, and the parents were basically persona non grata, and they fought for almost almost two years to get their daughter back. And it was she spent that entire time in a locked ward of a psychiatric wing at a hospital. And so, in a, in a lot of ways, what I wrote about in Saving Megan, similar parallel to the Gypsy Rose case, you know, it's really these are based on true stories, and I think that's what makes them compelling um for 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 you know for me to write about it's it's got all the good stuff that i look for in a, in in a drama mm-hmm. so yeah okay well I, oh you seen some jeff oh no go ahead go ahead john oh, okay no so but when you're diving into such an emotional topic like munchausen's disease and how it affects and like you just said you know people having sympathy for the victim well and it's almost like which victim are you talking about the murder victim or what the mother was doing victim because you have two of them in there so how difficult is it to kind of you know put yourself in those situations to be able to write that emotion into those characters yeah i think you know it's it it for sure is the the situation itself is the stuff of a good story. You know, the 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 fuel for any thriller, kind of its engine, is a combination of conflict and high stakes. When you have those two things combined in the right way with interesting characters, you you really can tell it, it the story almost is 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 there for the taking. And you know, in the in the case of Justina Pelletier, um which Saving Megan, again, is, you know, sort of loosely inspired on, you know, we all enter a hospital 
with the expectation of coming out better. That's why we go in. We go in because we don't feel good, and we hope that we're going to come out feeling better. And we don't think about the possibility of not coming out at all. And so I thought, you know, this is just every perspective here is going to be interesting because you have the mother's perspective. And what I did in Saving Megan, which is different than the Gypsy Rose story, is the, the real question at the heart of my novel is, is the mother, does Megan, let's say, does Megan, the character, the, the young girl, does, does she need her mother's protection or does she need protection from her mother? And it's unclear. So it's not, a, it's not really a case of, oh, for sure this is Munchausen. It's a question of what is going on? Why is this girl sick? What is her real dilemma? Um, what is her real, her, real, her real problem? And so um, it gave me a chance to write three points of view the mother's point of view, obviously, she's a, she's a critical component, but I also could write Megan's point of view, the, the, the young girl at the heart of it. And then I got to show also the doctor's point of view because the doctors in these cases of diagnosing Munchausen syndrome, they're, they're, not, looking, they're not looking to do this. It's, not, it's very rare when they make, I shouldn't say rare, there's about 1,600-plus reported cases of medical child, child abuse each year. Um, some percentage of those 1,600 are, you know, physical abuse, but there's another percentage that are things like Munchausen syndrome by proxy or Munchausen syndrome um, in itself. And so the doctors are in a very precarious situation because they, their oath is to do no harm, and yet it, it oftentimes becomes a, a very gray area when the test results are not aligning with the symptoms. And so the doctors are put in a position where they have to make a difficult call. Is this something or is this nothing? And if they get it wrong, it, it causes them all sorts of problems. And it could perilous results if they, get, if they get it wrong, as in the case with Justina, uh, emotionally damaging. But there are times where they say, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong here. And, and the the child is being abused. So in every facet of the story, the conflict and the anxiety were, were just so powerful, you know, so right at the surface that it was, it was pretty easy for me to dive into who these characters were because their situation was, was fraught from the, from the get go. Um, the show on Hulu is called the act. I just looked it up. Right. So, uh, yeah. Is it Patricia? Is it Patricia Arquette? I always mess up. Patricia Arquette. Patricia Arquette. Yeah. Yeah. She and she was. She's. I only saw her in. I haven't seen the act yet. I should. I should watch that. Um. But I saw her in. um, Medium. What was that one with Ben Stiller? No. Oh my gosh, you're going way back with Medium. She just did something with Ben Stiller. She did. Oh, Escape from Danamora. Oh yeah, right. The prison. the, The prison breakout. Um, show and she was yeah. unbelievable in that. She's a great actor, great actor. So, yeah, no, so yeah, definitely uh, she is. I, I think yeah. it's sort of a hot topic right now, a little bit this Munchausen um, thing, and I think people find it endlessly fascinating. I sure did. I, I, I was, I was, um, I, I really enjoyed writing about it. I, I didn't, I didn't expect. I, I honestly didn't realize how torn the readers would be about what was going on. I, I, I wrote the story knowing how the story was going to end, 
so it, it didn't occur to me as much how, what the reaction was going to be on the on the journey as the readers was going through it. But it, now that I look back on it with a more objective, you know, take a, a higher level view of the of the work, I'm not so deep in the weeds. I, I could see it's there's no clear. Everyone is everyone in the book looks like they could be lying or misleading or right. just have a, a have a different agenda and i think i think people readers find that um really compelling and so i i think that's one reason the response to this book has been what it's been so i'm going to jump off topic just real second because you just brought up patricia arquette so I, you're a musician and i want to see if you know this trivia question you know the song, you know the you know the group toto right oh no no don't you don't you know what you don't even have to ask your question, and I know the answer. <laughs> you don't need, that's what how much it? I know music. The answer is Toto. That's not the answer. The answer is, oh, come it on. was it's a song. Sister. It isn't? It was their sister. The song, Rosanna. The song Rosanna is, is, yes. named, is, is written by is written sung her. by who? Rosanna sung Arcade. by who? Who sung, who sung Rosanna? Toto. Name the band that, Yes. So I clearly I knew what I was talking about. No, oh, I, I was. Just, I said, to, do you know the band Toto? <laughs> a lot like of people don't realize question. that. A lot I of people don't realize that she was. I think I think she Amazingly, was the keyboard, the keyboard player, and he wrote the song, and the singer felt always weird singing it because he's singing it to Rosanna Arquette, who he has no relationship with, and it's the keyboard guy. <laughs> right. So, well, he wrote to trivia. Africa for Patricia. <laughs> well, no, but it's her sister. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I, I know, I know. <laughs> um, you talk about the characters in uh, Saving Megan, and the the I have to ask this: what character was the hardest one to write? Um. All right, so. The e- Let me have answer it in reverse. The easiest character to write for me, for whatever reason, is the girl. I, I it is the the third time I've done it. I did it again in a, in a book that I'm going to publish next year. But it's the third time that I had to write a teenage girl, and it's the it's the least amount of edits that I have to make in anything I write. I write it almost stream of conscious. And it's like channeling a teenage girl, and I've had most of my beta readers or early readers are are women, and they all compliment that. They all note that and say, you know, how did you get that voice right? And I'm not entirely sure, but I know that it's it's a different voice than if I wrote it as a teenage boy. There's just there's a subtle shift in tone, and and I, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it's it's just. I feel like I can actually channel it effectively. The The next character would be the doctor character. He he was pretty straightforward to write because his issue is that he lost a son to the same disease that he's diagnosed Megan with, a disease called mitochondrial disease. And mitochondrial diseases are when you have a deficiency in your cell's ability to produce energy. And it can essentially just wreak havoc across various body systems. And the presentation is so varied based on, you know, every physiological 
um, component of the patient. So one person with mitochondrial disease will have XYZ symptoms and another will have ABC symptoms. So from a doctor's point of view, it's really hard to tell what it is. You're, you're, and there's no real gold standard test to say you definitely have a mitochondrial disease. It's, it's all, a lot of it is based on observation and experience. And so this doctor who lost a son to the disease is prone to diagnosing mitochondrial diseases in patients, and he therefore suffers from what's called confirmation bias, and he's not a reliable source when it comes to making these determinations. So his character was pretty straightforward, minus the medicine. The, the trickiest one was the mother, um, who originally, I wrote her as a victim, somebody who was being played by the system, who was who you know may or may not have been intentionally harming her daughter but she was she was more of a passive person and when i when i read through kind of her character i thought she's just too she's too flat i i'm not i'm not you know she's what i would normally do i hate to say that because that makes it sound like all my other characters were flat but i would rarely write a character that was manipulative with a purpose, that was hyper-focused, that was uh, determined without repercussions to get some goal. Because readers are often turned off by those kinds of characters. They find them to be off-putting, to be uh, just, just generally somebody they don't want to spend a lot of time with, they don't want to root for. And I intentionally made her not like that because I didn't want my readers to be turned off by this character. But then as I read through the book, I realized she's just not right. It's not the right personality for this particular individual in this particular situation. She needs to be manipulative. She needs to be determined. She needs to not care about the repercussions. She is 100% focused on saving Megan, whether in it's true or not true that Megan needs saving. And the reader reaction to the character is sort of what I expected, which is a lot of people said, I just don't like these characters. I don't like this mother, especially. Um, and to that, I say, yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of what I had to do. And, and then, you know, I think you can look at it and say, why are, why are we so judge judgmental of this? of these people. I mean, this is a woman who's dedicating her life to helping her daughter. Would you not do everything in your power to help your kid? I mean, we're seeing it played out in sort of a horrid way with the varsity blues scandal and the college admissions yep. thing. And, um, yep. you know, yeah, true. but that's, that's the same theme. It's, it's how far would you go to protect your kid? And the answer is, is really far. It, depending, you know, if you have the means, you're going to do whatever you can. And this character happens to have the means to do what she needs to do to, you know, protect Megan. Right. Nice. So, all right, let's get into it. Why DJ? All right, why DJ? <laughs> <laughs> so, the, we the way it. my so career was going. <laughs> so, so, I had six I think it was like six Daniel Palmer books. And then I had a tragedy. My father, Michael Palmer, passed away suddenly in 2013. And he was, you know, beloved 
and not only in the writing community, but in the reading community. Great man, just a great lot man. Of, loved him. A, a lot of fans. Yeah, great guy, and just a, everyone loved loved my dad, and and so um, his publisher asked me if I could carry on the legacy. Um, there were books that you know, an idea at least that I could I could work with, and I knew having grown up with you know story and with the way he does story and having talked about my books with him and the two of us jawboning about plot problems and whatnot, I, I felt like I, I could write in the vein of a Michael Palmer book, much like we have guys, I don't know who's doing it, the Vince Flynn series is uh, Kyle continuing. Mills. Yeah, Kyle, we have um, Ace and Reed are continuing Robert Parker and right. you have the Clancy books and, you know, we just, there, there are other examples um, the girl with the dragon tattoo series, the the Lisbeth Salander books are continuing, and so my dad had enough of a fan base then, and I had the skill and was uniquely qualified. Let's face it, like I was well qualified for the job. I'm I'm his kid. Certainly, the estate of Michael Palmer supported, you know, me doing it. It was my brother's, um, and. Uh, and so I wrote a, I wrote three of those books, and I I basically stopped writing the Daniel books just because it's, it's really hard to write for me at least it's hard to write two books at the same time. It's hard. It just there's so much that goes into the books and so much mm-hmm. brain power that I, I really have a hard time with it. So I wrote I basically put Daniel on hold to write these Michael books, and Saving Megan was originally going to be called Cruel Treatment. And it was going to be the fourth one. And what happened is I, I wrote the book. I pitched the idea of the Munchausen story. And my editor, who was my dad's editor at St. Martin's, loved the concept. So she's like, go ahead, write the book. So I wrote the book, but I wrote it the way I thought it needed to be written. Like I was just telling you about the Becky character. I would never write a Becky character in a Michael Palmer book. It's It just... It's just so, and it's antithetical to the kinds of stories that his readers are accustomed to reading. And yet, there was no other way for me to do the Saving Megan um, story, or the you know the story, without going there with that Becky character. We've never done a first-person point of view in a Michael Palmer book, but there was really no better way to tell Megan's story than first-person point of view. And the Zach Fisher story, that's pretty much a typical Michael Palmer kind of character. So he sort of fit the mold. But the other two, who are a huge part of the book, really didn't fit the mold. So when I turned in the book to my editor, I said, I think this is good, but the one problem we're going to have is I, I don't I don't think this is a book my father could have written. This is This is way more Daniel Palmer than it is Michael Palmer. And it, I got lucky in that she loved the book. My editor just loved the book, and she felt like we had something new to build off of, something that would take my career in a completely different direction. And so it was really her decision or her ask of me to say, could I become DJ Palmer? So it gives me a chance to sort of rebrand from the Daniel persona, rebrand from the Michael persona, and focus on these new kinds of stories. And I think the you know, where the Daniel books were kind of the everyday guy 
um, Extraordinary Circumstance and the Michael books were medical thrillers, the essence of these DJ books, at least as I'm crafting them now, is um, family is everything. So these are family-centric dramas um, with a thriller twist to them. And that is actually way more in my wheelhouse. So I think in some ways DJ is my homecoming. You know, it's me becoming the writer that I always wanted to be or always sort of thought I was when I got into this business, which is I wanted to write relationship stories. I started off writing romantic comedies from the guy's point of view um, and found out as I went to try to publish them that women who read romance apparently don't care that much about the guy's point of view. But I still, I still wanted to tell these, these kind of relationship-driven stories because that, that's what interests me the most, the, the kind of the interpersonal dynamics that we all can relate to um, so deeply because we all live it. And so for me, the, it, it, it makes the writing that much more enjoyable. I shouldn't say enjoyable because I'm not sure how enjoyable the whole experience is. <laughs> well, I, that's my question to you. Um, so you're going to be DJ now, so we're not going to see any more Daniel or Michael books. But not with right you now. being with you being a guy with a family yourself, how difficult is it for you to write about such dysfunction? Oh. That's the easy part. <laughs> my wife, my wife used to say, she's like, "How come you can't be like Nicholas Sparks? How come we can't come? You can't come down to breakfast and just be like, should he sail away with her on a sailboat or should it be a rowboat?" And you know, oh, I'm like, God. instead I about, come down. I'm like, a, what if everyone sinking boat? <laughs> they all die at the end boat. anyway. <laughs> what if what if they're all dead? How about that? You know. It's, you know, I, I I think it goes back to uh, one of the the my, one of my favorite movies. I went I went to my to see it with my mom back in the '80s. It was this slasher flick called The Stepfather. And man, I loved it. Like you know, and they remade uh, it. Did you see both versions? You can't remake that that movie. That movie was perfect. You just <laughs> leave that movie. Have you even seen and both versions? I have not seen the new version. There's two I don't versions. Think I could handle they it. made one in the '80s and then they remade it again. Yeah, I don't think the new one is going to be any good. I'm sure it's not going to be good. The, the one in the 80s was great. Yeah, no, they they have it out. I think that's the one that you probably saw was that one. But there's I saw the one, one in the 80s. The old, the old. Oh, I saw oh it okay, yeah. Then you didn't see the other. Yeah, the other one was kind of bad, but it was. Uh, yeah, the guy yeah, from Lost was, was, was like, in it. Yeah, so, the guy so that's from how Lost. I grew up. I grew up with my father writing. You know the 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 crazy thrillers, and my mom and I going to see slasher movies when I was you know thirteen. Yep. So yeah, I'm fine <laughs> writing it. about. This I saw stuff. Halloween in the movie theaters. <laughs> I was only I was only nine years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, my sister dragged me, and then Salem's Lot, and then I saw Amityville Horror. Oh, so yeah, I I grew up well, in all loved, that stuff. I loved Salem's Lot. Yeah, yeah I like you know oh. I I. I don't need gore. I'm not a gore guy. I hate I'm a gore. Story guy. I hate so it. So as long as me too. as long as you have created some real tension for me and some real yeah conflict and some characters that I can root for in some way, shape, or form, you know, do whatever you need to do. But if it's That's just why like I think the first you know, Halloween torture or is, gore, I'm out. Yeah. I'm not interested. To me, the first Halloween and is still my favorite horror movie. The original Halloween. Right. And, and so, to, to your point, though, Jeff, you know, I couldn't write a, I couldn't write a scene. I couldn't write something where 
it was gratuitous and there was no point to it. Like, for example, I wrote a book called Forgive Me as Daniel. Now, I have to, like, tell you who it was. It was Daniel Palmer. I'm like the the stepfather. Who am I? Who am I now? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'm Daniel Palmer. So I wrote this book called Forgive Me. And it was about um, it was about human trafficking, and there was a it was from a the first person point of view of a 16 year old runaway who gets herself into a heap of trouble, and basically I wanted to write the book because um, I was fascinated or just you know darkly fascinated with the notion that this girl from and it happens all the time you know girl from from whatever from any background doesn't matter how much means, what kind of means you have. You could be well off, you could be poor, you can end up in a really perilous situation. And so I wrote about a girl from from Maryland who ends up in one of these situations and I, I was trying to figure out how to tell her story and I start writing it and I got about three words into it and I just stopped and I was like, I don't want to write this. I don't want to describe this. I don't want... I don't want anybody to have to read what she goes through. You all have good imaginations. You don't need to read this. So I just spent, you know, some. I got quiet and I thought, what could I do? And then I, I, it occurred to me I could write it as a diary. And the diary okay. allowed me to express her emotions without having to show anything or write anything explicit. And so it was super effective. And so I could write about the, the trauma, but I don't. I could not write about. I couldn't write about it in a graphic way. I have to have some emotional element wrapped around it. Otherwise, to me, I just I don't want to go there, and I don't think readers want to read it from me. I would least. completely agree with you, man. Definitely. I gotcha. Yeah. Well, hey, DJ Master Palmer, I got to tell you, it is. <laughs> it has been a pleasure. <laughs> Wait, we're done? Yeah. We did it? <laughs> Dude, it's been 30 minutes. We did that. And tell me, you, how close How close were you not calling yourself DJ Master Palmer? I mean, come on. That's that's kick it. That's kick name <laughs> oh, right Oh, I should. I, right? DJ Master. I, I like that. DJ, DJ, DJ Master, Master Palmer. Palmer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I listen, all I'm hoping for is people check out the book and they dig it and they like where oh, I'm absolutely. coming from now. It's, it's, it's from a different place and, and I'm enjoying it and you know, well, I guess I'll give, it, I, give you us know, all your social media. News, I'll give you guys an exclusive. You guys can have the oh. exclusive. Oh, oh give it. There, there will be more DJ Palmer books coming. So there nice. you go. You're the so first, you're the first to done. hear it. Awesome. Yeah, I'm not one and done. That's great <laughs> so, to hear. Well, give everybody your uh, social media and your website and everything. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Please come check me out. Uh, DJ Palmer author as opposed to DJ Palmer Auto Mechanic, you want to go to djpalmerauthor.com. And then if you go to Facebook, you would find me also as DJ Palmer Author. And I'm also okay. somewhere on Twitter, as I was saying. But I'm very uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm active on Facebook. I, we have a nice community cool. in my little Facebook page land. We talk to each other and, and ask questions and – Share stories. Well, we'll send you over the link, and you can post it up there that you know you did this interview. For sure, for sure, this was a lot of fun. I hope I yeah. I didn't sound like I was groggy because it's it's so late for me. But uh, now you know now I'm, I'm probably not going to get. Now you're awake. Time to go right. <laughs> <laughs> 
the next book will say, oh, he wrote this the hour after we talked. We can tell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Exactly. If there's anything wrong, it's going to be like, yeah, he wrote it right after that interview. Right after, <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Hey, it's been a pleasure to have you on. We've got to have you on more often. Um, so thanks again so much for staying up. Anytime, guys. It's awesome to chat with you both. Take care, guys. All right, you we'll too. see you soon, Bye. All right, bye-bye. So, again, everybody, that is author DJ Palmer. Make sure you go check out uh, djpalmerauthor.com, and the book is called Saving Megan. So, great show, Jeff. Great show, ma'am. Oh, two fantastic authors, two fantastic books. Uh, Everybody go out and read them both. They're worth it. Yeah. And hopefully um, Bob can find, and maybe you can too, I'll I'll go look and see some video of the interview that you did with him, and we'll post it online so people can check that out. Yeah, we did it as uh, kind of like inside the actor's studio. I had my note cards, and we were in chairs in front of the crowd. It was a lot of fun. Cool, cool. All right, man. Well, hey, um, we will uh, see you soon. Um, Yeah, you're going to run a special interview tomorrow night. I'm just going to run that show tomorrow, yeah. That that interview that I did, I'm going to run that tomorrow because I told her I was going to run it today, but then – we had to do Bob and Daniel live, so then I'm going to run it tomorrow. So, yeah. Sounds great. All right. All right, dude. We will talk to you soon. And again, everybody, thanks so much for listening. I'd like to say, keep reading. Good night, everybody.